Welcome to episode 15 of the Analytically Speaking podcast series. This episode will discuss the opportunities afforded to scientists in general and to vibrational spectroscopists in particular by the Koblenz Society. I'm Jerry Workman, the Senior Technical Editor of Spectroscopy and your podcast host. Thanks to our listeners for joining us for a deeper look into all things measured with light. Spectroscopy is the study of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation, commonly referred to as light, with matter. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Ellen Maceo and Dr. Zach Schultz about the benefits of participating in the Koblenz Society. Ellen has been involved in vibrational spectroscopy and instrument development her entire career and is trained as a physical chemist. She has worked for instrument companies as well as run laboratory operations. She is past president of both the Koblenz Society and the Society for Applied Spectroscopy. She currently leads Maceo Consulting. Zachary Schultz is professor of chemistry and biochemistry at The Ohio State University and is the current president of the Koblenz Society. He is widely published on the subject of vibrational spectroscopy and also has an interest in undergraduate science education and professional development, advancement, and mentoring. We have invited Ellen and Zach to our Analytically Speaking podcast to discuss opportunities presented by the Koblenz Society for professional growth. Well, Ellen and Zach, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yep, thanks for having us. I'll throw the first question out to Ellen. Would you please tell our audience a little about your background in vibrational spectroscopy in the Society for Applied Spectroscopy and in the Koblenz Society? Uh, okay, well, you basically talked about my professional background, and I've always been in industry except for a very brief stint as an adjunct at a local university. Um, I get when I joined both the Koblenz Society and SAS when I was in graduate school, and my reason for joining was rather silly. My advisor was the president of the Koblenz Society and said to everybody, you need to join. At the time, I never recognized what the value of the society would be, but I've gotten a lot out of it. And um, yeah, that's it. Well, thanks, Ellen. How about you, Zach? Would you tell us about your background, history in vibrational spectroscopy, and now as president of the Koblenz Society? Yeah, so um, when I was an undergrad university, actually at Ohio State, I got involved doing spectroscopy on uh, carbohydrates and understanding the potential and power of vibrational spectroscopy, particularly infrared at the time. And that kind of motivated me to go to grad school where, you know, I did some more vibrational spectroscopy. I was doing infrared visible some frequency generation, making it about as complicated as you can. Um, and some different problems, mostly electrochemical situations there. Um, went on to do a postdoc developing uh, microscopy methods, um, which got me into you know, tip-enhanced Raman, which is kind of an entirely different direction. Um, but that then um, spurred me on to my own academic career, um, where I've been developing you know, instrumentation and methods all based in vibrational spectroscopy, mostly Raman, but also some infrared. Um, for, you know, the detection and imaging of molecules. And so for me, vibrational spectroscopy has just been this fascinating field of study that's motivated, you know, my career thus far. 
Um, but along the way, you know, I think similar to what Ellen was kind of alluding to, you get to meet people and you get involved in societies. Um, and, you know, as president of Koblenz now, I, I really have enjoyed uh, interacting with people at both ends of that spectrum, from students who are just starting out and trying to inspire them, as well as the people who came before me and now have something they want to give back to that, that next generation coming up. And, you know, that's kind of where I am now. That's a, that's a interesting background for sure. Can we talk a little about the general role of professional societies in the scientific community today? Let me start with that because over my career, I can say that I've gotten a lot of benefits out of it that I never would have expected. One of the things is that the societies connect people. If you look at industry right now, anybody who's practicing vibrational spectroscopy is probably the only spectroscopist in the company. And there's no more networks for uh, providing mentorship or asking questions or things like that. But the societies um, give you the opportunity to connect with people who have exactly the same interests and you can ask questions and get advice and get advice in everything from technical aspects through to career aspects, etc. cetera. Um, they, they basically provide a mentoring forum for both formal and informal networking and supporting new people. Zach, you got anything yeah. to say to that? No, I, I would largely agree with you. Um, you know, when you're a student at university, your peers are kind of given to you. You have the people you're taking classes with. And as you progress in your career and you become more specialized, you're right. You're often the only person in the company or department um, who really does that. And so how do you get find support and community? And I think that's you know a really important role of professional societies is keeping people connected that have similar interests. Um, and they do that in a number of different ways. Would either of you elaborate on some of those? Well, um, even if you just look at the history of the Koblenz Society, um, the Koblenz Society actually started out as an organization to support scientists who were working in this infant field of infrared spectroscopy um, and help them um, help them work in the area and also the as the as the statement for the um, society says foster the understanding and applications of infrared spectroscopy it changed to it changed to infrared and raman as raman has become much more commonplace but in 1953 it was infrared so that sort of says how the whole the whole interaction among people uh, in the area goes. Well, Ellen or Zach, nowadays, what would you say is the, the main purpose of something like the Koblenz Society? It has a singular purpose. Yeah, so I, I think um, just to also touch back on the previous question, you know, the role of professional societies today, you know, there's a few activities that are pretty easy to identify. You know, mostly they sponsor conferences and journals um, and maybe some professional development activities and things like awards. Um, 
but coming back to you know how does that link people together it, it's it's largely based on this sense of common purpose and what that is is you know as as ellen alluded to for koblenz um grew out of you know this nascent field of infrared spectroscopy um you know so now you know what are we doing today um we're doing different things we you know we're we don't the koblenz society per se does not have its own conference but it does sponsor a number of different ones um, we also, you know, sponsor activities and awards, um, to help build these activities out to keep people connected. Um, I think those are kind of the main activities. Jerry, uh, does that kind of answer it? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good answer. It's a really yeah. good start. Ellen, do you have anything else you want to I add mean, on? One of the, one of the other things is education. Oh yeah. And, um, I mean, I'm actually the education coordinator for both Koblenz and the Society for Applied Spectroscopy. And the society um, has a major focus on educating the next generation of vibrational spectroscopists. Uh, that's one of the things that we're really trying to do because um, my opinion is Vibrational spectroscopy has taken a sort of a backseat to some of the other um, characterization techniques, but when people start to use it, they find that it's valuable, and they also find that they don't know as much as they wish they did. You know, that, that's a funny thing. Um, if you follow, you know, kind of the, the ebb and flow of techniques you know, what kind of happens is, is something becomes popular and dominant. And then we have a lot of people that do that. Um, and I think vibrational spectroscopy is, is in a little bit of a lull at the moment. I think, you know, we weren't providing something new and different for a while. So there aren't as many people studying it in, in graduate school as maybe there were 20 years ago, per se. But I think it's coming back. And, and I think there's going, you know, advances in technology and, and people's interests in understanding what it can do. Um, I think there's a, a promising future if we can keep the education and, you know, the, the expertise alive in that next generation. So I agree with what Ellen's saying, this ability to educate and um, train people in this area, I think is going to be important for a long time to come. Um, but if I could add to that, Zach, you're thinking more of the academic environment. And if you look at the industrial environment, um, it's a workhorse in most industrial laboratories, infrared and now Raman. And the understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what your answers are going to be um, is much less than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago, I think. No, no, I absolutely agree with that, Alan. Um, I, I guess what I was re referring to is if you look at the training of the people coming out of uh, graduate programs um, in the U.S. and probably worldwide, there's just fewer of us trained this way. And I think this is where professional societies are important to keep those standards and, and that knowledge base, you know, alive. Um, because you're right. I think in industry, there is a demand, um, which will hopefully drive more interest in the techniques in the future. But... Well, let's, let's follow up on that and say, um, what specific professional training or advancement opportunities are available offered by Koblenz? And could those be compared and contrasted for industrial spectroscopists versus people who are in an academic environment? Well, if you look at the 
short courses that Koblenz has been responsible for uh, organizing. Um, and there's a large group of them that's going to be hopefully presented at SciEx in the fall. They're going to range everywhere from the real basics, like an introduction to infrared, near-infrared, and Raman, up to things like um, chemometric solutions for um, sample analysis and micro and miniature spectrometers. So it it would cover the the broad range of a graduate student who needs to know something or an industrial chemist who did one infrared experiment in college and now finds themselves being told you're responsible for this instrument. Um, I think that's something that Koblenz provides. And Koblenz provides also interpretation of the data, courses to interpret the data, because that just doesn't exist in the um, robust format that it used to exist. It used to be that there were multiple courses that you could take. And now uh, I only know of two. One that's a week-long short course that's taught by one of our affiliates, IR Courses, and a two-day interpretation course that Koblenz is going to sponsor at SIAC. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Jerry. I was going to say it, it seems that um, with the advancements that are going on now, especially in, in Raman spectroscopy and the different techniques, that it seems more important than ever for people to get plugged into uh, advanced training so they can keep up to date. Yeah, that's and th this is also, I think, coming back to um, some of the needs and the importance here. Um, you know, Ellen's commented how the number of courses have diminished. And I think part of this is because the people qualified to teach those courses is also decreased. Um, and I think that's one of the roles that Koblenz can help with is helping maintain that expertise base um, in professional societies in general, but for, for vibrational spectroscopy, it's Koblenz, um, to help keep those things alive. Otherwise, we're going to be reinventing the wheel again in, in 20 years um, to remember these things that, you know, at one point were commonplace, not only in short courses and professional training, but even in academic institutions. I mean, the number of faculty that are actively pursuing spectroscopy is also decreasing. And so, we, you know, you need these, these organizations that can keep this history active and, and, and vibrant. Well, let's move on and say, um, really, how does Koblenz support students who are interested in spectroscopy? Maybe they're just in general analytical and they haven't made a decision yet on how to specialize. How does Koblenz help? Well, there's a variety of things that the society does. Um, one of the things is we, um, and this is mostly aimed at students, the society sponsors something called speed mentoring. And we do it live at two conferences, and we do it virtually um, in the spring and the fall. And what happens there is students get to spend five to ten minutes talking to individual people and then cycling to talk to somebody else. And they get a breadth of uh, ideas about 
what it's like to work in spectroscopy in a national lab or in academia or for an instrument company or go to graduate school for uh, a degree in material science versus chemistry or something like that. That's one way that the society supports students. Another thing that's that we just started doing in conjunction with two of the local sections of the Society for Applied Spectroscopy is something called a research scramble where uh, graduate students in particular do a three-minute elevator pitch discussion of their research. And it's freely available on the web. Anybody can come in and listen to it. And that's the kind of thing that will help um, students get a handle on what's going on and what they might find an interest in. Zach, do you have anything to add to that? Um, not too much. I, I think Ellen's hit the main activities. You know, the speed mentoring and these three-minute um, research exchanges have been great. Um, you know, the main thing for students is just to understand how what they're doing locally plugs into the bigger picture. And, you know, these ideas where we can support this um, either virtually or in person, but getting them to conferences, offering uh, support. We offer student awards that help pay registration fees. Um Things like this where the students can actually see how what they're doing is important and impacts things. I, I, I think that's one of our main things that we're contributing um, to advancing students in this area. If I could add a little bit to that, too. It's also a very close-knit community. And in addition to the academic advice and what's going on scientifically, um, the community can also offer to students generalized career advice. Um, how you get yourself through graduate school um, when possibly you're trying to raise a family or how you reach your career goals when you're worried about aging parents or anything anything along those lines. And there's, there's going to be somebody who's been through it and can offer you advice about how to deal with it. Well, go ahead, uh, Zach, did you have something? No, I was just, I mean, that mentoring part that Ellen's kind of referring to there and, and the society is very supportive. Um, and our members, you know, just as a community, um, the vibrational spectroscopy community has been very supportive. I, I, I think that's a really important point. And I'm glad Ellen brought that back up. Well, if we look at uh, early career professionals or mid-career professionals, uh, what what kinds of things can they do with Covalent Society? That's the tricky part, right? So, you know, early career to mid-career, how do you keep people engaged as they move from being students to maybe their first job where they don't have access to these uh, same venues? You know, maybe their company's not going to pay for them to attend the conferences that they did as a student. Um we're working on that. And one of the things I'd really encourage early career and mid-career people to think about is becoming involved in the professional societies they identify with, um, either as being board members or chairing committees. Um, you know, you have a skill set and you have an identity. There's no reason you have to let that go just because you're busy. And there are ways that don't involve tremendous amounts of time, but can kill, keep you active um, in those communities. And to add to what Zach said, it would make the organization of the society 
um, a lot better if rather than sitting around saying, okay, who can we get to serve on this committee? We had a pool of young and mid-career scientists who said, I want to be involved. And then we could go to that pool and say, okay, we've got these five people who would be good to serve on that committee or help with this volunteer effort or help us build this particular area out in the society. Well, I just wanted to remind our listeners that uh, in the podcast notes that is posted with this podcast, there's a number of URLs and resource information for both Koblenz and for reaching Ellen and Zach. Hopefully, you'll be able to take advantage of some of that if you have questions uh, related to your career and what Koblenz can do. And so moving on, what, what, what can mature scientists do and how can they interact with the Koblenz? One of the things that I see from the mature scientist standpoint is you want to give back. You've had a broad, successful career and you want to give back. So that's one of the things that the mature scientists can do, the ones who are established in their field. They can help the younger scientists move along and um, uh, build their careers. But the other thing is that the Koblenz Society allows you, you know, basically to make connections. So it's going to provide consulting opportunities. It's going to provide opportunities to stay involved in the community, even if you're not working directly in the community anymore. Uh, And it provides the conferences so that you can go and figure out what's happening. So those are some of the things that it does for the mature scientists. I'd also like to stress that, you know, the mature scientists who have been involved also become the leaders. Mm. And we appreciate all those efforts um, as those people, you know, continue throughout their career. Absolutely. So would you specifically address networking opportunities? If you could just go through a short list of what those might be. That's changed a lot recently. I have to admit, um, you know, the the pandemic has, you know, altered the way we relate to each other. The idea of online programming um, was really not overly stressed prior to the COVID pandemic. But now I think it's becoming an integral piece. Um, Ellen mentioned earlier how we have these online research exchanges and speed mentoring opportunities. Um, you know, we have the ability to connect with each other around the world in new ways. And we're trying to leverage some of that. But at the same time, there's a human aspect that I think is important. And that's and that comes into play at the conferences we support, where we want to, you know, have both these virtual interactions, but in-person interactions to build those connections um, between people. Um, the thing that Koblenz started last year at SciEx that we're trying to continue going forward is having a members night where we just bring people together with a chance to talk and catch up face to face without you know a huge program agenda, but just you know a social environment to connect back you know at a level that you know doesn't exist necessarily online, but helps build those stronger relationships going forward. Um, and there's others. Um, Ellen, do you, you want to chime in? Help me out here. Well, actually, I was going to mention the members events at the conferences. Oh. Um, that is something that has been 
phenomenally successful. Um, having just having been at PitCon, this was the first PitCon that happened live since the pandemic, and people were very happy to see each other. And that's something that the society can help to um, facilitate. But the whole um, online thing is also something that we need, to, as a society, we need to make better use of it um, in order to keep people connected. Can you um, explain or describe some of the mentoring programs or initiatives that are available through CodeLens? Well, I, th I think the big one is probably our peer mentoring program um, that Jim Ridzak headed up for us and has been running now for several years. Um, it's one of my personal favorites because it combines pretty much people throughout the career span into the activity. Um, whether you're an early career person trying to figure out how to get your start or you're a more senior person wanting to provide advice back to other people, helping them figure out, get where you're going, or even a mid-career person who's considering a career change. Um, these events have really been useful to build that networking and, and let people meet the, the different people that can provide that insight or maybe, you know, even an introduction that might help them get that next job and get things going. I, I think that one is probably our most successful effort thus far, but it's also the template we're using to try to build other ones too. Ellen, you want to add to that? Yeah. yeah. What I was going to add is that we do for members have in the member profile, do you want a mentor? Do you want to be a mentor? And uh, we've had a few uh, young professionals who've taken advantage of that and said things like, yes, I'd like to have a mentor who could help me do this. And um, our virtual office manager has connected them with somebody else who said, yes, I'd like to mentor. And we'd love to be able to grow that program even more. Well, that sounds pretty interesting. And it's a way for people to engage. And mm -hmm. so, so on educational resources, you know, what, what kind of educational resources are available? You've mentioned several, but are there any others? Um, well, a lot of the content on the website when we, the website is fairly new, it's a couple of years old, and when we generated it, we made a strategic decision to make it a repository for educational information about vibrational spectroscopy that normally you'd have to spend hours Googling to track down various resources. Um, and that's an that's a resource that um, is probably underutilized and should be more generally known because there are links to webinars that have covered both science, both research topics and intro topics. There are links to um, uh, resources that can help industrial chemists there are links to companies where they're all um, in one place. Um, software, I, that particular books, and that particular piece of the website was all curated to be educational resources that 
we believe will be useful to the community. Well, thank you for bringing that up, Ellen. Um, there are a number of, in the podcast notes, there are a number of links. So we refer the readers to that and listeners to that. So uh, there's a number of conferences and courses as well as the Koblenz Society links. So we hope they look, look into that. So, you know, to be up to date, I think we have to ask this question. Um, how does this society work to promote diversity and inclusion in spectroscopy? That's a tough one, Jerry. Um, and I think a lot of us are, are dealing with how do, how do we incorporate those other communities that haven't historically participated um, and, you know, some of it is outreach. Um, for a while we had, um, the spectroscopist helping spectroscopist program in collaboration with some other societies where we were offering, um, you know, funds to help get people to conferences, um, from places, uh, like Puerto Rico that had been hit by storms and maybe even give them access to research infrastructure if it was helpful. Um, you know, the main thing there is I think we got to be conscious about how we structure our conferences and who we're inviting and who we're recognizing with awards and making sure that we're at least being aware of our own biases to try to recognize the outstanding contributions from everybody and not let it get pigeonholed into small groups of people that um, control the, these, these venues. Um, yeah. It's a real problem that, you know, we're working actively to try to make an impact in. Um, but but one of the things, one of the interesting things is um, women have historically in the sciences not had as big a presence, as big a role. But actually in the Koblenz Society, the, some of the founding members were women spectroscopists in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and we're trying to keep that um, uh, approach and feeling alive, if that makes any sense, by showing young women what their predecessors have been able to do and, and bring them on further. Uh, now, yes, it is the, the women community, but I think it shows that we are actively trying to promote across all communities. Right, and the student award is another example of that, yes? Yes. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. So how does uh, Koblenz really promote the advancement of spectroscopy? You know, are there any other things that we haven't discussed? Well, there are a bunch of recognition awards that show, and some of them are fairly high profile, that point out the contributions of spectroscopy. I think the most, the, the highest profile one is the Ellis Lippincott Award, which is a, which is awarded by three societies together, Koblenz, the Society for Applied Spectroscopy, and Optica, which used to be uh, OSA. And that is awarded for lifetime achievement in the field of spectroscopy. And if you look back at who's won it, there are uh, major notables in the field of spectroscopy there. Um, that's 
one way of promoting it. The other, the other one are the other two awards that are geared toward uh, young, younger scientists under the age of 40. The uh, Koblenz Award, which is theoretical, and the Craver Award, which is more practical. Um, Zach? You know, yeah, the other side of that too, though, Ellen, is you know the Williams Wright Award is given to an industrial spectroscopist, and I, I think it's important to remember that you know academics you know are easy to recognize because they tend to publish more papers and they get presented conferences because it's part of how they get promoted and things like that. Um, but the Copeland Society has been active in promoting industrial chemists as well and trying to recognize, you know, those contributions. And I think that's an important part of our mission that I, you know, I, I don't like to forget about. Yeah, I think exactly. the William, yeah, the Williams, right, is very important, I think, because of the industrial, as, as, the, as a person's career advances, there's much more separation between academia and industrial in terms of, um, you know, publications, et cetera. So... That's, it's very nice to see that. Can you tell us about any upcoming conferences or events that are that you would encourage uh, vibrational spectroscopists or even people who are looking into learning more about spectroscopy to attend? Well, the next one coming up is um, ISMS, so the International Symposium on Molecular Spectroscopy. For, for the uh, people who can remember far enough back, this is the old Ohio State meeting. Um, when it moved to UIUC, they had to rename it. Um, but uh, that one's in June. It's coming up uh, the third week of June. Uh, Registration is still open for that. We present the Koblenz Award at that meeting annually and also sponsor some of the activities there. Um, as the president, I'll be presenting the award and I'll be in attendance for part of the meeting to try to touch base with any of our members who are there. Um, that's our summer conference. And then we kind of shift into the main fall activities, which um, are, are SciEx and EAS. Um, there's a lot going on there as well. But there is, um, there is the Molecular Spectroscopy in Practice, which is a spectroscopy magazine event where Koblenz actually had uh, help in organizing the morning speakers. And those are, if I'm not mistaken, all of those presenters are vibrational spectroscopists. So that's going to be happening. And that actually is a very good introduction to what's going on in the spectroscopy space. So it would help uh, young scientists. Um, and um, I had mentioned previously, there's a, a week-long short course on interpreting infrared and Raman um, spectra, which is uh, a Koblenz affiliate. So both of those things are going to be happening during the summer. If you were to encourage a spectroscopist who, who could only attend one conference, which which conference would you recommend? SciEx. SciEx. All right. Yeah. SciEx will get is a small enough conference that scientists can interact with their peers. You don't feel overwhelmed like you do at an ACS meeting. Um, it is very scientific, so it's not. Um, a little bit more commercial like PetCon is, and it is worldwide, so it's not quite as regional as EAS. 
So yes, SciX first. Yeah, just the networking and the people who attend SciX. If you if you are looking to find the people who are active and doing exciting spectroscopy, and you can only go one place, that's the place to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hope it, all the listeners made note of that. Now for opportunities for members to get involved and to get into leadership, is there anything you could recommend on those lines? Contact us, reach out, tell us you're interested. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the society is run by, in addition to the president, by a board of managers, uh, which is a series of elected positions. And we're always looking for people who are willing to run for the board of managers. The commitment for the board is not enormous. Most board members take on one small activity, but that's a way to get involved and a way to get more involved in the society. Um, so that's, a, that's something that I would highly recommend. Yeah, just to add on to that, the Board of Managers is a four-year rotating term. So every year we elect two new members to that board and two people rotate off. And so there's always need for people interested in serving in that capacity. All right, for our listeners, if you have any burning changes you'd like to make to the society or things you'd like to add to it, please uh, step forward. Now, as far as interdisciplinary collaboration. Uh, is there anything you could say addressing how interdisciplinary collaboration is something that's promoted in Koblenz? Well, it depends on how far we're talking about interdisciplinary. The Koblenz Society is the vibrational spectroscopy technical section for the Society for Applied Spectroscopy. That's a mouthful. Um, but what that basically is, is it does foster the interaction of vibrational spectroscopists with atomic and molecular spectroscopists. Um, so that's one way that the collaborations happen. Um, Zach? Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about being a spectroscopist, and this is one of the things we also struggle with, is... You can use spectroscopy to study almost anything. Yeah. And lots of times it's just identifying where it's useful and how it might answer the questions. And some of the most fun projects I've been involved with are just based off of random interactions with people. And, you know, when you attend conferences, you often get to hear about this because everybody at SciX has probably done a little bit of spectroscopy. I mean, not everybody, but at least the spectroscopy crowd has. And the exciting part is seeing the new and different things they've done. Um, and that all comes together at the meetings and you kind of see, you know, the potential for things you could do. Um, but fundamentally, spectroscopy is a tool and it's finding those interesting niches that we can make an impact with, um, whether it's industrial, if it's process analytical, um, if it's fundamental, you know, physical understanding of how molecules interact or electrons are transferred, um, you know, it's, you hear about this at meetings and you have to interact with other people. And, and, and that's one of the things I think the society is good at is, is at least bringing together the people doing the spectroscopy, but you get to hear about all the other things they're involved in at the same time. Well, that sounds like valuable information for anyone who's interested. 
let's let's uh, change gears a little bit and ask about any recent initiatives or programs that Koblenz has uh, put forth that have been particularly successful. What would you like to highlight? Well, as we've mentioned multiple times, there's the speed mentoring. But the other thing that we've, another thing that we've put in place, is um, a, a program for offering, providing financial assistance to mostly younger career professionals who might not have been able to go to a conference because of the additional expense that comes into play when you talk about um, uh, child care or dependent care or what have you. Um, speaking as somebody who had to worry about what happened with the kids, because my husband and I were both going to the same conference, that kind of help to a young career professional really does help. So that's something we have put in place, and there are applications for it. And I do think the deadline for applications for help for SIEX is coming up. And just to follow up on that uh, a little bit, you know, historically there were things like uh, Camp PitCon or they'd have childcare at conferences. And a lot of that's gone away um, for various reasons. I think some of it has to do with insurance. But these programs that Koblenz is sponsoring would pay for you to fly a grandmother to your house to let you attend um the meeting if you needed to. You can use it in, in more creative ways. We're, we're trying to be receptive to the, the unique solutions people need to be able to continue their careers. Actually, the first SIEX that we put it in place for, I was at a young uh, career event, and one of the women who had applied for it told me, I would not have been able to come to this conference without that support. So that's something that really shows that we're doing something that's necessary. Well, that's exciting. That's good information. You know, the other thing, just to finish this off, the Copeland Society is in a very fortunate position that we don't have very high dues, but we have, you know, money from past, you know, adventures and uh, efforts, including the spectral repositories developed by Clara Craver, which really put the society on a really strong financial footing that we're able to incorporate people and get them to these meetings without having huge costs up front, right? Um, so our dues have been $20 for how long now, Ellen? Can you remember when, when they increased them from 10? When Mary was president, which I think was back around 2000. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so this is something that we're very interested in knowing is how can we advance our members and what can we do for our members um, given this fortunate position we're in, I know many societies are, are struggling with, you know, with budgetary issues. And at the moment, that's not our problem. But we also want to be very conscious of the fortunate position we're in and do things that build our membership and help keep the society strong for the future. Um, so events at conferences where we can bring people together or convince more people to sign up and join. These are all things that we're excited about and um, hope to be able to grow in future years. You know, Zach, one of the things that we both forgot to mention is the collaborations with IRDG, which is the Infrared and Raman Discussion Group in the UK. And we are trying to collaborate more with them 
on various programs, programming. The research scramble is actually something that um, students from from the UK and the EU have participated in. Yep, that's right. Um, actually, that was one of the highlights of my year last year. I, I was able to um, attend their their meeting in December, right the week before Christmas, and present um, both as the current Koblenz president, but also a past Craver Award winner. Um, and we're hoping to be able to continue that tradition of sponsoring uh, a speaker at these meetings to help grow those connections in the future too. increase our international appeal as well. Well, as we look to the future creatively, what kind of things would you like to see Koblenz be able to do moving forward that maybe hasn't been done in the past? I think we all grapple with how to make the society more international and not just North America and Western Europe centric, which is what we are right now. Um, and that's something that we'd love to figure out how to do, but we're, we're struggling with figuring out how to do it. Yeah, I would add to that, um, figuring out how to continue to program across the career span. We mentioned some of the challenges with early career and mid-career. Um, we really want these people to stay involved. And that's that's one of the areas that I've, I've been most attentive to, trying to see if there are ways to keep these people um, either active on committees or contributing to the programs. One of the things that we've talked about, and this, and this may be something that we keep pursuing, is is starting student chapters and trying to get students more directly involved in Koblenz. Um, SAS has been doing this for years, um, but we think there may be space for, you know, vibrational focused groups to also get involved. And I think that's something um, that we might see more of in the coming years. And one of the things that um, we need to figure out how to um, deal with is a graduate student or a postdoc who's working in a vibrational spectroscopy group um, leaves, goes and gets a position. Let's say they go work for a pharma company. Do they still consider themselves a spectroscopist or are they now a pharmaceutical chemist? They may be doing um, uh, pharmaceutical spectroscopy. They may be doing process spectroscopy. Um, they may be doing chemometrics. Um, the president before me works for a pharma company and she's, she is a data scientist, but she's a spectroscopist. And we need to figure out how to convince the young spectroscopists that regardless of where you go, you're still a spectroscopist and this is the community where you belong. Yes. Indeed. So really in closing, would you tell our audience what the best experience you've ever had from participating in Koblenz is? Um, speaking personally, I had a rough couple of years during the economic downturn when I was in a job that I hated and I couldn't leave. But I had the support of the members of the Koblenz Society telling me that I was a good spectroscopist. I knew what I was doing. I knew how to, to um, get where I was going. And it, it significantly helped me overcome um, 
the things that I was dealing with. So I think that's probably a good example of the feeling of community. That's excellent, Ellen. Yeah, I'll echo that feeling of community, but maybe in a different way. Last year at SciX, um, we decided there was an opening in the schedule in one evening, and we decided to have a members event. And as president, we get to—I get to give out a lot of awards, and I get to, you know, congratulate one or two people. But it was just so much fun to have over a hundred, you know, Koblenz Society members congregating in one place, just hanging out and getting to talk to all of them and hearing about all the great things that are happening. Um, and being able to, to provide that venue and, and support that that kind of sense of community, um, that was great. I, I hope we can continue to do that and build that um, in the future. Are there any other comments either one of you would like to make? I think I'd like to just to come back to what we started with. You know, as you progress in your career, you often become the one person with a skill set. And I just hope people remember that these the societies are out there and we want you to continue to be part of the community and that we want to hear from you and we want to know your input on how to grow and how to make this um, connection to keep, you know, this field of vibrational spectroscopy strong. And so, um, you know, I think that's really an important role of professional societies. And I hope that the listeners, uh, maybe who aren't involved, will think about getting more involved in societies, if nothing else. Follow on from what Zach just said. If you're a young scientist and you're afraid of getting involved in the community, um, we can just put you in touch with some young scientists who are involved and who can give you their perspective, not the perspectives of somebody who's been in the society for a while, but somebody who just came, just became a member of the society and is finding it valuable. And uh, Zach has a student who's going to graduate soon who got her postdoctoral appointment through Koblenz Connections. So those are the things that really make a difference in where your career goes. Thank you, Ellen and Zach, for this very informative discussion on the Koblenz Society. I am sure our audience has learned a lot about what the society has to offer them and how they could participate in its activities. Your discussion on this subject has been very thought provoking. My thanks to all of our listeners and production and editing team that has worked to make this podcast possible. We invite our podcast audience to stay tuned to our next informative Analytically Speaking episode. And remember what Albert Einstein once said, the only thing that interferes with my learning is my education. <laughs>